Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Well, thank you for joining us on another edition of American Potential. Always great to have these wonderful policy champions that we have across the country. As you know, Americans for Prosperity Action particularly works to elect policy champions across the country, but then Americans for Prosperity works with them to pass good pieces of legislation. And we have one of our great policy champions with us today. We've all heard about the debt limit increase bill that passed Congress and was signed by President Biden. Depending on who you listen to, it's either a good deal for the American people or a bad one. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the bill, also known as the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which cuts over $2 trillion in federal spending. There are some on both sides of the aisle that that don't really like the deal, but that's what happens with a divided Congress. And our guest today is one of the House members that did vote yes on the bill, and he represents the 2nd Congressional District in Arkansas. Congressman French Hill, who graduated from Vanderbilt with a degree in economics, and was a staff member on the Senate Banking Committee. Uh, At the age of 34, he was appointed by George H.W. Bush to be the Executive Secretary to the President's Economic Policy Council. He also started Delta Trust and Bank from scratch in his hometown of Little Rock, Arkansas. Since Congressman Hill's life has been dedicated to finances, he seems to be the perfect guest to talk about the Fiscal Responsibility Act Congressman Hill, thanks for being on the show today. Jeff, it's great to be with you. And uh, I really, I've been familiar with AFP since uh, 2009, 2010, when I helped as a volunteer. I was a banker then in Little Rock, helped uh, organize the first chapter in in Arkansas. And so grateful for the engagement that AFP has had with our constituents, our citizens, our grassroots. Uh, Ever since, you guys do a great job. Well, thank you, and thanks for your help in in getting that Arkansas chapter up and running. And and you know that that's where we have the best chapters across the country are when we have citizens like you engaged, and then we love it when they get to be uh, elected to Congress and and be great policy champions for us. So let let me ask you, why did you? I mean, obviously, this was a bill that was negotiated for a very long time between Speaker McCarthy and several members of of leadership and the president. And uh, you decided to vote for the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Why did you like it? Why did you end up voting for it? Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, well, first, I think it's real important for our listeners, our conservatives, our citizens to understand what was happening. This is not like a government shutdown budget vote. This is a much more serious, much more concerning situation, and it's called raising the debt ceiling which allows the federal government to then continue to borrow money in the open markets through our treasury securities. And by reaching this uh, deadline of not being able to borrow anymore, you put the whole treasury market at risk, which means you put the dollar at risk, and that is essential to our way of life. So this is an important issue. So that's point one. It's not like just a government shutdown type debate. I think it's a big, big difference. Secondly, this is something that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, could have dealt with last fall when he controlled the Senate, uh, the White House, and the House. He could have had Nancy Pelosi, for example, 
run a bill through Congress to raise the debt ceiling uh, until the next presidential election, but they agreed proactively not to do that and to dump it in the lap of uh, the incoming House Republicans. I viewed that as a great opportunity, and I think our speaker, Kevin McCarthy, did as well. Why? Because instead of just agreeing to a debt ceiling increase and more spending, which is what Nancy Pelosi did all during the Trump administration, and what President Trump did, I might add, during the Trump administration, we had a chance to stop the spending avalanche and go back. So, number one, debt ceiling is different from a debate about a government shutdown. Number two, uh, what's the alternative? We don't control the White House. We don't control the Senate. So what Chuck Schumer and what Joe Biden wanted is a clean debt ceiling, meaning just a green light to more spending with no policy changes, no regulatory reform. So Kevin McCarthy immediately, upon becoming a speaker, uh, set out to negotiate with Biden to create a conservative, responsible approach to the debt ceiling. And Biden stiff-armed him, uh, gave him the Heisman for 100 days. But we were able to pass our own version, Jeff, the uh, Limit, Save, and Grow Act, which would cut $4 trillion in spending, roll back some of the Inflation Reduction Act's industrial policy on the Green New Deal, uh, work requirements for TANF and for the welfare programs, uh, some regulatory reform, uh, and claw back the COVID money. No tax increase. Uh, and that was a better package. I supported that package. Every, uh, uh, basically all the Republicans supported it. It gave McCarthy the negotiating leverage to try to raise the debt ceiling with conservative features. So uh, the final comment I'll make on this is why did I vote for it? I always ask myself, after I've read a bill, studied the issue, I ask, is this better than current law? Is this better than current law? Well, current law is Joe Biden. Right. Current law is Joe Biden's spending, where the government's 40% spending 40% more than we were just before the pandemic. It's insane. So it was an easy vote. Don't disrupt the Treasury securities market and extend the debt ceiling, but with conservative principles. You know, you talked about how much we're spending. And before we get into some of the details of, of the bill itself, let's explain for folks. And I don't, I don't know how you want to do it, if you want to do it by every day, how much more the government spends every day as opposed to what it takes in or by year or by month. But, but we are living well beyond our means. And, and we continue to pile more and more onto the national debt daily, by the hour, by the minute. Uh, let's talk about first how dire of a situation really it is becoming. Well, we have $31 trillion uh, in debt now, uh, total, that's debt owed to ourselves, as well as debt owed to other people outside the United States. And our economy is $25, 26000000000000 trillion. So we're, we have more debt than we have GDP. That's never a good thing. The last time it was this large was at the end of World War II, after we'd gone through a depression uh, and it dramatically increased the size of government under Franklin Delano Roosevelt during the Depression, and then marshaled all the resources that we have to fight and win World War II. So think about that. 
This debt has grown this large uh, principally because we have unchecked mandatory spending programs in our social welfare arena, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security obligations. That's two-thirds of the budget. It runs on demographics. It's inflation-adjusted. It's on autopilot. But one-third of the budget is what we vote on in Congress. That's what's being debated right now. Uh, as a result of this debt ceiling increase. And here's the shocking news on that part of the budget, the one-third of the budget that we vote on. When I came to Congress in 2015, we spent about $4.1 trillion to run the whole government, everything, soup to nuts, discretionary and those mandatory programs like Medicare and, and Medicaid. And it got up uh, to about $4.5 trillion, so it grew about $400 million uh, right before the pandemic. And that growth was principally because Donald Trump wanted to add defense spending that Obama had cut. So between the pandemic and now, let's hear about that. We're now spending six and a half trillion. Hello, six and a half trillion dollars. We were spending just four and a half trillion two years ago, two and a half years ago. So Joe Biden has added to the run rate of spending six. It's now running six and a half trillion dollars, two trillion increase in spending, 40 percent more spending under Joe Biden than before the pandemic. The Democrats have weaponized the pandemic to expand government, expand government's reach, expanded the social safety net to the tune of $2 trillion. Plus, they did bipartisan infrastructure, which is mostly Green New Deal, Inflation Reduction Act, mostly Green New Deal, Uh, the American Rescue Plan, just growing government. And now we're projecting $1.5 trillion deficits per year for every year we can see into the future. So that's the spending side. Now, Democrats say, oh, but Donald Trump cut taxes for corporations. Well, Donald Trump reformed the tax system for corporations. That's true. Allowed $1 trillion to come back to the U.S. for investment in our country. He took millions of people off the tax rolls at the low end. He made it simpler to file. And you know what revenues did? Did revenues go down like Democrats talk about all the time? Ad nauseum? No. Revenues have gone up since the 2017 uh, implementation of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, and we now have revenue at 20% of GDP. It's a 70-year, seven-decade high in the revenue being received by the federal government uh, due to those tax reforms. So we have more revenue than ever. The problem is spending. It's not a revenue problem like Joe Biden always talks about. It's a spending problem. We're now spending 25% of GDP, a record. And that's why Republicans in the House want to bend that cost curve back. We want to go back to pre-pandemic spending debates, and we want to go back towards where we're fighting about how to get to a balanced budget, not how much money can we spend. Anytime we have uh, the, the United States government has cut taxes or reformed taxes, revenues have increased, whether it was John Kennedy or Ronald Reagan or the, the the Trump tax cuts. That's always been the case, and it seems to always produce more revenue. But 
One of the concerns I think that many people have, you mentioned all the spending that has happened under the Biden administration. We didn't even talk about how that is the main driver, the cause of the inflation that the American people are feeling. So it's really hurting your average citizen in in the pocketbook right as we speak. We have a 40-year high in inflation. The last time it was this high, I was graduating from Vanderbilt and starting my career. That's a long time ago. And it's uh, costing an average Arkansan, uh, average household income in Arkansas is about $44,000. It's costing them about $7,500 excuse me, about $7, more dollars per year for just their normal food, gas, groceries, school supplies it takes to run a household, all due to that 40% inflation. We went crazy during the pandemic, uh, this is my view, both on monetary policy, two lakhs, interest rates went to zero, we held them at zero for too long, we began buying treasury debt at the Federal Reserve for too long during the pandemic, and then when we were coming out of the pandemic, we kept interest rates at zero, we kept that lax monetary policy, and Joe Biden added $6 trillion of new spending. Of course we have inflation. And again, that's why Republicans are on the side of ordinary Americans working at their kitchen table to get inflation under control. And we do that by curtailing the spending, not raising taxes, and also unleashing the supply side of the economy through regulatory reform. So you talked about curtailing spending, and let's talk about that a little bit uh, with regard to the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Tell us- how that happens in, with this Fiscal Responsibility Act now being signed into law, how much better are we than we would be if it hadn't passed? Yeah. Number one, in fiscal 24, ending in September of 2024, for the first time in decades, the federal government on discretionary spending, uh, defense and non-defense discretionary spending, will spend less than it did the year before. Number one. Number two, The agreement was to cap domestic defense and non-defense spending to 1% growth per year. So we're capping the growth rate of spending. We're bending down that avalanche of spending uh, that Joe Biden has, has just been going nuts with over the last two years. Secondly, we claw back $30 billion of money that we appropriated for COVID that we don't need to spend. That goes straight to back to the bottom line. We're going to eliminate that spending this year. Next, uh, the IRS under Joe Biden in the Inflation Reduction Act passed $45 billion for 10 years, for 10 years, to increase hiring some 37,000 new IRS agents. We take away the 2024 first year of that. So we repeal $1.9 billion of the IRS budget. This year, that money is cut out. And so those are some of the principal spending cuts in the budget. It'll save around $2 trillion over the period. And that's why it's better than Joe Biden's current budget that projects $1.5 trillion deficits out for 10 years. Well, and so I guess you would say this isn't what you would do if you were running the government by yourself, obviously, you'd have steeper spending cuts and, and we'd probably deal with the two thirds of the budget that's not being dealt with in this, the the uh, non-discretionary spending. 
but this is the best deal in your mind that we could get. And it's a better deal than if it had had not passed. Yeah, it meets my test of, is it better than current law? Absolutely. Number two, $2 trillion in spending cuts and reforms is better than none. We proposed $4 trillion. I wish we'd gotten $4 trillion. Every Republican wishes we'd gotten $4 trillion of cuts and some other regulatory reforms too. But we didn't. But we got Joe Biden to give up on his IRS agents. We got Joe Biden to cap spending at 1% growth. We got Joe Biden to uh, agree that the Inflation Reduction Act was wrong about IRS agents for a year. We got Joe Biden to cross a red line, which said that he would not add work requirements to more people for SNAP, which is the food stamp program, and TANF, which is the welfare program, and he did. We moved the age from from 49 to 54. It should add about 275,000 more people eligible to be in the workforce, uh, which is an important issue. We also um, cut regulatory spending by imposing what's called PAYGO on big rules implemented by Joe Biden. So if Biden implements a regulation that has a cost-benefit analysis that costs money to the government, he's supposed to propose offsets to that. If we'd had that over the past two years, it's estimated that we would have saved another $1.5 trillion uh, to the economy. So there are many people who would say, well, why did, if, if this cuts government the way that, that it does, why would Democrats agree to this? Why did Joe Biden, why did many of the Democrats in the Senate and many in the House uh, vote for this package? Well, first of all, some Democrats, uh, even though they vote to go along uh, most of the time, are shocked by the budget deficits. A lot of Democrats are mad about uh, energy permitting being capped by the far left Biden administration. Folks like Joe Manchin in West Virginia uh, wanted permitting reform, as you know, as a part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Bernie Sanders wing of the party, which controlled Joe Biden, uh, stopped that. So some Democrats wanted permitting reform. And some Democrats actually support work. Uh, They actually want people in America to get out and work and enjoy the fruits of the free enterprise economy and better their families, better their education, and have a better outlook. So we got Democratic votes But I think the only reason we lost uh, uh, some Republican votes is that they wanted more spending cuts. They wanted that $4 trillion. But 68% of the Republicans in the House voted for this bill because they recognized it's the best they could get out of a Democratic president and a Democratic uh, Senate. And even though we're disappointed We know the country is better off with the Fiscal Responsibility Act than a clean debt ceiling, which is what Schumer and Biden proposed. One of the things, as I understand it, that's in this legislation, and I love this, is because I I get so frustrated with the fact that Congress doesn't get its job done. They don't pass the 13 appropriations bills. They throw it in at the end into a continuing resolution or an omnibus spending bill. My understanding is that under this legislation, If it goes to a continuing resolution, it actually is going to start crimping down spending will have to be less than it was the previous year, which will be a real 
a, a real windfall towards getting members of the Congress who want to spend more money, usually, um, that, that it would get them to actually get their job done and go through the appropriations bills and have a regular order in the House and Senate. Well, Jeff, you're right. And I think this has got the potential of being a very good tool. I credit Thomas Massey of Kentucky and Tom Emmer of Minnesota both for strongly advocating for this uh, during our spring brainstorming sessions. Bottom line is typically the House, under Democrats and under Republicans, gets most of the appropriations bills passed through the Appropriations Committee, through regular order. In other words, most of the time the House does its work. They might bog down on uh, homeland security budget because of the border debate, or they might bog down on labor uh, and health. But most of the time they do it. The Senate never does it in the recent years. They just don't even pick up the pen and do the work. And so you're exactly right. This is a bit of a stick to say to Congress, pass all the appropriations bills before September 30th, and then uh, you can go to a conference and you'll actually have a, a appropriations process that passes both houses. It won't be an omnibus spending bill, to your point. In our House rules, adopted and led by Kevin McCarthy, we abolished uh, omnibus spending bills. You may not bring one to the House floor. So that's one of the most important changes we made this year as Kevin became uh, the Speaker, uh, undoing all the bad Pelosi policies. That's one of them. But this says that if you uh, have a bill, one of those 12 or 13 bills that doesn't pass, and it has to go to a CR for that Department of Government, let's take Homeland Security, then it would have to be at 99% of FY23 spending. So it's a stick to get people to do their job, do their work, debate those bills, and move forward. So it'll be interesting to see how it works in practice. Yeah, this has been really one of the the terrible tragedies over the last 10 or 20 years is Congress yep. moving away from, from regular order and passing those individual appropriations bills where members of Congress can go into committee. Their experts on those issues can, can, can develop and put them. But it seems like the big spenders in Washington, those who want more money, felt like if you just threw it all into a big bill at the end, you could sneak stuff into a Christmas tree bill, as it's called, and, and get it passed, and people just wouldn't know it, notice it until it was too late. This is a major reform. It is, and Jeff B., let's be clear, it's an equal opportunity abuse that you described. <laughs> yes. Uh, these are defense hawks. These are social policy liberals. These are uh, pork barrel project people in their district. There is no partisan, uh, everybody has their hand in the cookie jar here in both political parties. Uh, and some presidents have been good disciplinarians on spending. Others have not. Donald Trump was not a disciplinary person on spending. Sorry. Right. He wasn't. It was terrible. And Joe Biden's worse. Obama was bad, but he got, uh, got uh, constrained by House Republicans led by John Boehner, who now a lot of conservatives don't like John Boehner. But let me tell you, Boehner's constraint on uh, the December, I mean, the uh, 2011 CAPS deal capped spending for about uh, nine years. It didn't grow. 
Uh, so, you know, that's why it was also connected to a debt ceiling negotiation, which is why these debt ceiling negotiations offer conservatives a chance to pull back the reins of runaway government spending. Well, final question for you, Congressman. You you led the effort, really, to help get Kevin McCarthy in the speaker's seat. Uh, we all kind of watched the drama right around Christmas time when, when that happened in the election or right after Christmas time, the election of the new speaker. But uh, tell us, how do you think he did in these negotiations uh, with the, the, the president and, and Chuck Schumer as well? Yeah. Well, one of the best decisions he made was to get Chuck Schumer out of the room. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we started making progress when uh, the gentleman from New York was uh, not in the picture. But look, McCarthy uh, has built consensus inside the Republican conference over the past few months. We passed historic uh, border security reform. We passed historic energy freedom uh, legislation. Uh, we got those uh, negotiated through House Republicans and across the House floor. And we navigated the debt ceiling. McCarthy was essentially the only leader in government to pass a bill in either House of Congress that raised the debt ceiling in a responsible way and had a consensus by his members for a conservative policy changes. So that led to not a clean debt ceiling, no tax increase, and a debt ceiling increase that does have conservative priorities attached to it. Priorities for work, priorities for energy, priorities for regulatory reform, and for sp some spending constraint. But we've got more work to do. This is just one step uh, in the next two years of checking the Biden agenda and continuing to advocate for uh, going back to a world where we used to believe in it, I think in both parties, that we wanted a balanced budget. Well, Congressman French Hill, thank you so much for for joining us, but more importantly, for being such a great policy champion uh, for the American people. We appreciate your time today. Appreciate you, Jeff. Thanks for having me today. Well, Congressman French Hill, a, a great example of, of why it matters, why elections matter, and why we have to elect policy champions, people who are going to stand and fight. And look, I know there's a lot of people who say, hey, you know, we should have cut $4 trillion. Of course we should have figured out a way to cut $4 trillion out of the budget and, and save that in this process. But again, you've got divided government right now. You've got a, a Biden administration that has accelerated spending since COVID particularly. Uh, they had no interest in cutting spending at all. So to get that, those concessions, I think was, 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 was quite an accomplishment. And, you know, Congressman French, uh, thank you for your great work on doing that. And it's important that you as citizens reach out to your member of Congress, that you call your member of Congress, that you email them and you tell them, listen, that, that we are living beyond our means in America. We have to do better. We are spending our children and grandchildren's money. We can't continue to do that. It is not sustainable. So it's really important that we all do that. It's only if you take action, if you stand up and fight, that we're going to make a difference. We're going to save America from the fiscal cliff that we are headed towards. So anyway, thanks for being with us. Join us uh, on Facebook, YouTube. You can watch these on YouTube. We have our own YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and type in American Potential Podcast. You will see our YouTube channel. You can watch these podcasts 
on that YouTube channel, um, just as if you were listening to it, only you get to see my smiling face. Well, okay, I'm supposed to sell this, not try and get you to not watch it. Anyway, you'll get to see our guests and the interaction there. So hope you'll do that. Send me an email, jeff at americanpotential.com. Would love to hear your thoughts and comments on the podcast. Thanks for joining us this week on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.